2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, and on the back of the bulletin there's uh, sermon notes you can fill in and, and uh, keep track of things as we move through there. I brought with me today um, a blood pressure cuff, and I thought, you know, it might be a good idea, given the sermon title, just to make sure that I'm alive, okay? So come with me to the doctor's office, which is a scary thing when you think about it. Those who know me well know that I have this funny experience in doctor's offices. Uh, it, the rooms seem small, and the air doesn't function the same way in there. It, there's less oxygen, it seems. And then when they hook things like this up to my arm, oh, you feel that? Yeah, the tingle. And you're like, okay, um, I don't really want to be aware of what my heart is doing at, at this moment. I, I, I don't really want to feel it in my arm, but good news, I have a pulse. Uh, I am alive, indeed. It is confirmed. Oh, wow, there's a lot of numbers there. I'm sure they're great. Okay. So... Why did I bring my, my blood pressure cuff today? Well, this sermon serves spiritually to be a similar experience, okay? So physically, yes, right? I, I tell people a lot of times, I, I am no doctor, physical doctor, but I am something of a spiritual doctor, a doctor of the soul. And Peter was as well. He is addressing us today and giving us kind of a, a spiritual checkup, as it were, and uh, we are looking today for vital signs. These are indispensable signs of life that our soul will make, uh, will reveal to us as we walk with the Lord in this life. And so what I want to do is kind of move through these verses, but let me just kind of by way of review show you where we've been recently so it's fresh in our minds. Pick up in uh, I think it's verse 3 here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, that is, that is our Savior and Lord, the glorious God, who has called us to His own glory and excellence. There's a holy calling right there. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, that as He is holy, so we are to be holy. You see the connection there? Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We are no longer who we were. We are no longer where we were. We are new creations, and we are set on a path of holiness and obedience to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who saved us. Now, these are the verses that Pastor Alex covered a couple weeks back. For this very reason, make every effort. This is work. This is, this is a call for effort among God's people. Work out your salvation, as it were. To supplement. Work to supplement your faith with virtue. That is moral excellence. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, that's the phileo love, and brotherly affection with the high display of love, which is agape. The kind of love that says, I will sacrifice to love you, even in the face of, of challenge or in the face of undeservedness, I, I love you anyway. 
the pouring out of love, like we have been loved by God. Now, with these as a backdrop, let's move into verse 8. Godliness and effectiveness. Godliness and effectiveness. Verse 8, this is what Peter says. For if these qualities, important if, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about what he's saying here. He's writing this to believers. He's saying, listen, fellow believers, I am encouraging you to labor, like put in effort to grow in godliness because if these are yours and they are ever increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of it circles around Christ. He is the epicenter of everything. Jesus is the center. It's not just a slogan. Christ-centered Christians. That's who we are. That's who we are to be. Well, let's dig in here a little bit. Virtue, knowledge, self-control. This is the backdrop, okay? So if these are yours, you possess them, and you progress in them, so you're, they're increasing in you, even if you're just like, there's just a little bit of it. It's there. Okay, good, good. But there's more. There's more. Grow in that now. Grow in that. So these are things by which we are to be assessing in our lives. Christian, when you look inside, when you consider your life, when you survey across your life, are you spotting these things? A commitment to these things? A love of these things? A desire to grow in these ways? Note this. A lot of this list is what's inside of you. It's more along the lines of the person that you are, your your character. This isn't a laundry list of things you have to do, like do this, do this, do this. No, it's be this. Be this kind of person. Respond this way, not the way you used to respond before Christ. And then it shows itself in love. It shows itself in moments. Your character will shine in the moments that God ordains for it to shine bright. So effective and fruitful Christians. I'm going to take the positive first, then we'll look at the negative. Okay? <clears throat> there is a way, Christian, for you today to be effective and fruitful. That's encouraging. That, that's encouraging. There, there is a, a, a category of Christians who are fruit-filled and effective. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we want to be. Listen to the connection here from these verses that kind of serve as a, as a larger backdrop uh, in, in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. There it is. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. It's given to you, how? In Christ. In the heavenly places, even as the Father chose us in Christ the Son, before the foundation of the world. Now, note this. Note this. What is the aim point of election? The Father chose us in the Son before the foundation of the world. Why? For what? That we should be holy and walking blamelessly before Him. This is the whole reason that you were saved, Christian. It's not the foundation or the basis. That is just God. God didn't look down and say, oh, look, that's a pretty good person. I think I'll save them. That's that's not what he saw, is it? God looks upon the sea of humanity in Romans 3, echoes out, none is righteous, no, not one. 
And he says, I choose, I choose, I choose, I save. Not because anyone deserves salvation, but because I want to show forth salvation and save from everyone who deserves wrath, I will save some. And then those that he chooses to save, he says, holiness is the aim of that salvation. The expression of this we see in chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes this, for we are his workmanship. You are the artwork of God the Father. Think of that. You, You are his masterpiece. You are his creation. We have been created in Christ Jesus through the Father Um, in the Son, for good works. For good works. Which, by the way, God prepared beforehand. They're predestined good works. Think of this. This week, okay, on Monday, there are good works that God ordained and prepared for you to walk in before let there be light was spoken. Isn't that amazing? Have you thought of that before? We are given to the display of the glory of God. And that happens both in our character and in our conduct all week long. So to sum it up, you could say it this way. We have been saved by Christ to shine and show forth the character of Christ and the love then of Christ as it expresses itself in all the interactions that God ordains for us to have on any given day. Now there's a flip side to this would say this, beware of stagnant waters. You ever walked by a pond that had no fresh water flow and it just reeks? I mean, just like a cesspool of scum and like the frogs love it, okay? Things do live in there, but wow, it's like oozing green slime and, and, and it smells. Friends, there is a category according to Peter, for a Christian to be in, one who is saved, but begins to stagnate. They are are not pursuing holiness. They begin to kind of say, well, I I think I I like the focus on me. Not your will, but mine be done. And, And I want to pursue the things that make me happy. And so all of a sudden, the, the point of salvation stagnates and the growth begins to kind of stall out and then our responses show forth the deeds of darkness, right? S- smelly things, ugly things, worldly responses, not the character of Christ. We are constantly called to be on guard in the Christian life of stagnation and stalling out. One of the things we've got to remember is the race is a race. It's not a park bench, right? We don't sit down. We are called to the walk. We are called to run the race of faith, as it were, together. And so if all of a sudden I just check out, I will begin to stagnate and, and plateau, and that is not the call of the Christian life. It's a holy calling, and it's all the way through to the end. We are to run this race and grow, grow. There is a category then for an ineffective Christian, one who would be described by Peter as idle, here's synonyms of this Greek word, lazy, and even useless. Now, I was going to title the sermon, The Useless Christian, but I thought I didn't want to offend anybody before I even opened my mouth. So, (laughs) here, there is indeed a way for a Christian to be useless in the hand of the Lord. That's not what we want. 
That's not why we were saved. We are saved to be lights in the dark, to show forth and, and proclaim his kingdom. Unfruitful, unproductive. What I would say is, if you find yourself in that category and you look and you assess your life and you see stagnation a lot, be warned. Be warned. It may be far worse than you realize. It may indeed even be that you're not even a Christian. This is something that has to be, from time to time, addressed in the church. Stagnation can be revelation of no pulse, no evidence of life. He says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So before we go to the question of, am I actually saved? I want to speak to those who see some evidence, but they're like, it's not a lot. (laughs) I really wish I saw more. You ever been there? You look back over the Christian life and you're like, man, Lord, I am just not, I am not satisfied with where I am at. I would have hoped to be farther along in the the maturing process. I, I wish there was more fruit on display in my life. Don't be discouraged. Don't don't be discouraged. Listen, the work and pursuit of holiness is a lifelong work. It's lifelong. In this life, we never arrive. You never arrive. You never get to the point where you're like, you know what? Um, Self-control, I mastered it. I mastered it. Trust me, if you get there, the Lord will prove you wrong. (laughs) Right? I mean, he's going to prove you wrong. So we got to remember this. What we're looking for is not perfection, but progress. Progress. Am I the same person I was five years ago before Christ? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Now, is it as much growth as I would have hoped? It may not be, not in this season, but there's progress from one degree of glory to the next. So ask the question, am I growing spiritually? Is there increasing fruit of righteousness on the branches of my life? There's so many questions that can be asked in this category. Do I love him more? Do I love the word more? Am I more dependent upon him? Am I quicker to turn to him? Do I hate my sin more? Does it bother me more than it used to? Am I quicker to choose the path of life and light than I would have been even a year ago? Do I catch my sin before it comes out of my mouth? more quickly. All of these things can be helpful indicators of growth, which points to a heartbeat in the soul. Here's how I would say it. Aim for perfection, but look for progress. Okay, this is what we don't do. We don't say, well, I can't be perfect in this life, so I'm going to lower the bar, right? I'm going I'm to shoot for here because realistically, um, Jesus is out of range. I, there's just no way I can be like Christ So I'm going to just try to be like Scott. I'm just going to aim for Scott. And if I get to Scott, then, hey, I'm happy. No, don't do that. Because Scott is not aiming for Scott. Scott's aiming for Christ. The call is, our aim is perfection. But note this, not in this life. We won't get there. So we aim and we strive to be like Christ. But when we fail, we remember the gospel that breathes. It's the air that we breathe. We repent of that sin. We run to him and we say, Lord, I've learned. Teach me. Turn from that sin now. I want to grow. Help me spot it sooner. Help me catch it quicker. Help me call it what it is. Help me avoid that sin. There's growth there. 
Progress is what we're looking for. Progressive sanctification. Now, what's interesting as well is sanctification does not take place on a straight line. Have you noticed this? As you look back, some people who've walked with Christ for a long time, you'll look back and there will be seasons of tremendous growth. For me, when I went to Bible school, the Lord lit me on fire. I was like full-time Bible student, Bible theology, four years. I soaked it up. I was learning, growing by leaps and bounds. And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about this, right? And then I got married, right? A week after I graduated from Bible school, I got married and I realized, wow, I have so many areas of sin in my life. I am so selfish. I had no idea how selfish I was until I was married. And I could see my selfishness landing on my wife and in her eyes, just like, oh, I can't believe you just, and I'm like, I can't either. Look at that. It's ugly. It's terrible. I need to grow. She was so patient and gracious to help point these things out and vice versa. We grew together. That's the beauty of marriage. Spouses love one another and go together on the growth. Help one another grow. Partner with one another in that effort. The goal is that we be like Christ. That's, what, that's our aim point. That's our goal. Lord, make me more like you today. Now, godlessness is inconsistent. Godlessness is inconsistent. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, it's interesting, in the original language, blind and nearsighted are switched. So if you've got a New American Standard, for instance, blind comes first. And I think that's important because it just doesn't make sense. The, the Peter's doing something here that's kind of, he's toying with words, and he, he wants us to be like, well, which is it? Are you blind, or are you nearsighted? Because as far as I know, I haven't met anybody who's both, right? It's either one or the other. You're, you're, if you're blind, um, it doesn't matter what follows, okay? Blind and short-sighted. Short-sighted in what sense? Well, you're focusing on things that are temporal, fading, you're missing the point. You're, you're, you're living here for things that are not important. You're, you're, you're losing sight of what is. But what about the blind thing? The word carries a connotation of to blink or to shut one's eyes. So here's, I think, what Peter's getting at. He's, he's writing to believers. He's saying, you were cleansed from your former sins. What are you doing with your eyes closed? Right? The idea would be for someone who, who Jesus opened their eyes, say the blind man from birth, Jesus came and opened his eyes, and he could see. And then let's say that you walk by him the next day, and you see him doing this, eyes closed. Do, like, and you're like, bro, you can see. I, I was there. I, saw, I know you can see. Why are you closing your eyes? Well, this is what I'm used to. I, I, I'm just used to the dark. The call is, come out of the dark. You were set free from that. Live in the light. So, Open your eyes and stop living in the dark. Christian, what are you doing there? That has nothing for you anymore. You used to live there, but no longer do you need to live there. There's nothing. Come to the light. Come walk in the light as he is in the light. This is my, uh, my dog, Tyson. 
When I was 15 years old, I got a, a bird dog for bird hunting, a yellow lab with a little Chesapeake Bay in him. What an awesome dog. Trained him, and he was, he was such a great dog, except for there was one thing that he would do from time to time, and those of you who have dogs, you know what I'm probably talking about here. I would, I would wash him, and that was no small task. This was a big dog, and I would be soaked by the end of the time because he's shaking, and I got shampoo all over. So finally, I dry him off, you know, get him cleaned off, and if I'm not careful... In that moment, what do dogs do right after they get a bath? They go crazy, and they run. And my dog loved to go and roll. I think in his mind, I'm guessing, he was like, I'm drying off. Well, he would roll in the grass and the dirt, right? And so here I am. I'm, I'm, I've just labored to love this dog. He's clean, and he runs, and he rolls, and, and flopping around in the dirt. And you're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's what Peter's saying here. Two Christians, why are you wallowing in the mud and the muck? You've been delivered from that. Don't go back there. It's inconsistent with who you are in Christ. Romans 6, Paul says it this way, We know that our outer self was crucified with him, that is Jesus, in order that the body of sin, the old us, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passage. Don't present your members to sin as instrument of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You see the call? Come out from where you were and be holy. Be holy, Christians. This is an important call. And when we choose to go back into the dirt, into the mud and the muck, our life becomes a a, a contradiction. And it's a dangerous place to be. Now, do Christians sin? Yes, we do, don't we? We do. Praise God, there's provision made for that. Do we pursue sin, coddle sin, make our home with sin? No, we don't. Absolutely not. That's not who we are anymore. So you could ask the question this way, does the pattern of my life deny the fish on my bumper? Right? Christians drive around, they put the little ichthus, the fish on the bumper. I know you're laughing. It's a good question. Does the pattern of my life deny the claim I make? Or are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course I am. Well, it's like Friday night, wasn't that you doing that thing in that foot? Oh, yeah, that was me. So, you see the thing? Inconsistency. The contradiction. It doesn't add up. Will we be perfect? Let's say this again. No. We won't be perfect. And certainly the the world is going to try to put a standard on us and call hypocrites every time opportunity comes. But let's be clear. There's been plenty of ammunition given by inconsistent living, by choosing to wallow in the dirt when we should be walking in the light. These words ring out sometimes in a county like ours. I've, I've heard a number of people give stories of friends or Others in this county 
Uh, even among the Reformed up in Linden, who would say things like this. And let's just be clear, this doesn't work. This, is, this doesn't add up. Well, I know I'm elect, so I can live however I want. Um, actually, no. <laughs> that's a, did, did, like, have you been in the Bible? Because that's, that is absolutely forbidden in Scripture. Paul blasts that out of the water, and so does Peter, so does Jesus, and every other author. Well, I can sin. It's no big deal. I know God loves me and, and always forgives me no matter what. He has to because he's God. Wait, that's wrong. That's wrong. We do not have a license to sin, to sin it up, let, that, that grace may abound. What does Paul say to that? May genoito, may it never be. That's not adorning the gospel. That's dragging the gospel where Christ shed his innocent blood that we would be set free from sin. We drag that through the mud when we choose to live in it. This doesn't work. People that talk this way are not saved. There. That's the reality. They're not saved. Christians don't sound like this making light and little of sin, and cheapening God's grace, looking at the cross with scorn and mockery. That's not how a Christian sounds. 1 John 3, 9 and 10, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That is, this is, this is their, their settled, happy-hearted path. Sin. That's not what Christians do. And Grandpa John here, this is toward the end of his life, he's writing as a, as a wise sage to, to young believers. Listen to his words. God's seed abides in him. He can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. You will be convicted and you will be called from the Lord in a, in a heavy conscience or by those around you to turn from sin. And if you don't, you may continue in that path and prove indeed you are not saved. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice or live righteously in obedience, pursuing holiness, is not of God. You're not saved. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if your life is defined by hatred, hardness of heart, bitterness, and you're living by clinging to the past... You are a a, a living contradiction of the gospel. And the call is, you better get the cuff out and put it on the soul because it's likely that there is no pulse. And you need to go back to square one and run to the gospel, repenting of sin and finding salvation in Jesus. Remember this, we are justified by faith alone, but... The faith that justifies is never alone. That's what James is getting at in James chapter 2. Faith apart from works is dead, right? Don't, Don't tell me you have faith. Show me you have faith, as it were. Faith, saving faith, will show itself in love for the Lord, in humility before Him, in turning from sin and running to Him, joyfully embracing Him as sovereign, the King of life. I will obey you. I will seek you. I will follow you. Your commandments are my delight. 
So, is the faith that you have alone? Or is it accompanied by some evidences, a pulse, some, some, some demonstrated revealers of life in your soul? Peter's getting at this, and I think it's so important that we see this. Remember the words of Jesus, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, don't, don't get his words out of order here. He's not saying, perform and you'll be accepted. Oh, all the other religions go to that place. You do things and God will accept you. You be good enough, you be smart enough, you be you know, patient enough, and then God will be like, eh, okay, you tip the scales. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you run to Christ and you trust in him alone, his work is the only work that can justify us. You will not stay the same. You will be changed. And one of the things that will be evident in you is a heart to obey the Lord and do the will of the Father in heaven. John mentioned this verse last week. It's so good, so good to see this. I just want to use it again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Promise. Count on it. But note the synonym here. Almost exchangeable. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So belief and obedience go so closely together, they're almost exchangeable. They're almost synonymous. Believing is joyfully embracing and submitting. The call is repent for the salvation of your souls. Disobedience says, eh, I like sin. I like me. I don't need him. If your life speaks words like that, it doesn't matter that you raised your hand in the fifth grade. You you see what I'm getting at? Don't put all your confidence in what you did all those years ago. Look for life today in your soul Do you sense vital signs? Is there a heartbeat for Christ, a love for Him? It's not worth the risk. Don't risk hearing from the Father, depart from me, I never knew you. Worker of lawlessness. May that word not be heard by anyone in this church. May the warning today land well. And may we heed it as the love of God for us. Now, godliness and assurance, verses 10 and 11. Godliness and assurance. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So, okay, how do we make sure something that is completely out of our hands and we have nothing to do with? Uh, Did you have a hand in your election? No, you did not. When did it take place? Long before the ages, right? Did you have a hand in making yourself come alive spiritually? No, that was completely of God. He did it. He saves. So how can we make these things sure? Well, the point is, is that, you, that you can do things, to, you can be diligent to do things that show that is a reality in your life, that show that you're really alive. These vital signs. Listen to 2 Timothy, the call to worship here. Share in, the sufferings, uh, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, the God that is who saved us and called us to a holy 
calling. So the calling to life that you have been blessed by, Christian, is a calling to holiness. It is a holy calling. He, he set you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And it's not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Okay, so just be clear. God wasn't seeing something you would do and saying, oh, that's why I'm choosing. That's why I'm electing. No, it's his purpose, his love, his grace that's undeserved favor. And he gave this to us in Christ before the ages began. That's an amazing little passage. So can I know I'm a Christian? Can I know if I am among the elect? The answer is absolutely you can. You can absolutely know this. Let me show you some distinctions here, some help along the way. There's a difference between Christian security and Christian assurance. Our security, eternally so, is found in the promises of God. When God promises, He is true to His word. You can count on it. When He says, um, everyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, that is absolutely sure and confident. If you believe, you will be saved. That's security. I will lose none of all that the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So how secure are you today, Christian? You are eternally secure because Christ said, I won't lose a single one. Every single one the Father chose, He gave to me. And every single one He gave to me, I die to save, and I will raise them on the last day. I will lose none of all that He has given me. John 6. But Christian assurance is something a little different. This has as a target, how do I know that I really do believe in Christ. You see the difference? I believe, I can trust you, absolutely. But how do I know I really believe? That is evidenced in a transforming life as I am changed from one degree of glory to the next. When I find evidence that my words are not hollow or empty. Here's how we say it in the statement of faith. We believe and teach that believers can be assured and confident that they indeed have been chosen by God to eternal salvation as they daily continue trusting Christ alone for their right standing before God and as they examine their hearts and lives to find increasing evidences of God transforming them and producing in them that which is consistent with the character of Christ. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. That's where that comes from. This transforming work of the Holy Spirit confirms the new birth and the ongoing sanctification of believers until they are fully glorified at the time of physical death or rapture. So the work is not finished in this life, but one day we will be glorified without sin, perfect in holiness. So vital signs. My job today, as I deliver this word, is to give you some, some indicators. If you put the cuff on your soul, how do I know that I really believe this? How do I know that I really am a Christian? How do I know that I'm elect? Consider this. Here's the list. Do I see evidences of these things? As I trust Christ and walk in obedience, am I being changed by Him from the inside out? Would the people around me define my life in these ways? Now, remember, perfectly, no. None of us in this room would be in that place. But progressively, yes. 
Little by little. There may be just the tiniest amount, but there it is. And Lord, help me to grow. Help me to do better with patience, with kindness, right? I want to target this. I want to go after this. Make every effort. Do I love God more today than I did last year or even five years ago? Am I walking in the light or is my life largely like the world? I mean, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian by the world around me? Would they be like, you know what? I don't see any evidence. I, I don't think you're any different than anyone else. You, you talk the same. You, you live the same. There's the priorities are kind of shared worldly priorities. This is what we're looking for. Live in such a way that you would be convicted without any doubt. There's a Christian, right? No, the world won't celebrate the path of holiness. The world hates it. They, they're, they're not cheering you on on the path of holiness. But we are. We are, and the Lord loves those who walk in a way that glorifies Him. Am I eager to grow spiritually? At the, at the New Year's resolution, are you on the list of things? Well, I want to lose weight. I want to you know, be on my phone less. I want to do this. I want to be purposeful. I want to plant flowers, whatever. But what about holiness, right? Holiness. What, what about growing in godliness? What offensive strategy can you pursue in your life to be more consistent with the character of Christ? Do I love to obey the commandments of God? How is my love for others showing and growing? Is there evidence in my life of God transforming me? Am I striving for personal holiness in all the areas of my life? In a sense, does my life confirm my label, right? I wear the label Christian, but what does my life confirm? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For, listen to these two things, two things that, that, that are directly connected. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. The perseverance of the saints is a perseverance in faith and a pursuit of holiness all the way to the end. You will never fall. You will not go to hell. You will not fail to reach the end. And then he says this, for in this way, on this path, as it were, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the, king, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Richly provided for you. Now, this is not basing our entrance upon our works, to be clear. I like how Kevin DeYoung summed this up. Listen to the distinction here. On the last day, God will not acquit us because our good works were good enough. Who are we looking to to have good enough good works? The only perfect one, Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior of sinners. He is the only hope. We look to Him alone. However, all who look to Him in that way will show forth evidence. God will indeed look for evidence that our good confession was not phony. Isn't that good? You see the heart of this? It's in this sense that we must be holy. Here's the question. If holiness is not that big of a deal to you right now, why do you think heaven's going to be great? Heaven is holiness forever. It's the place where holiness reigns. So if you're not that in love with holiness here, what makes you think you will be then? The call is right now, 
love holiness. Prepare for a place where holiness will be the air we breathe and grow in it day by day. We won't be perfect. No, not in this life. But someday, we will be glorified and perfected in holiness. Indispensable evidence. John Piper uses that term. I like that. There is and must be in our lives uh, indispensable evidence of life that indeed we are truly believing in Christ. And that will show itself in a thousand different ways. Now the priority of godliness, I want to just show these verses to you here at the end. This is really amazing. Listen to the heart of the Apostle Peter. Verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities Though you know them, and you're established in them, in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So you ask the question, As Peter approached his martyrdom, he knew it would be soon, when he would be crucified upside down on a cross. What is on his mind? His his last words, as it were, what is he wanting to emphasize to God's people? Holiness. That's what's on his heart. Be holy. Be a holy people. Love him. Love others. Walk with him. Glorify him. That's the priority of holiness. If I was about to die or, or, or be martyred, wouldn't it be amazing to, to hear that from me? My final words before I'm going, church, I love you guys. Listen, grow in holiness. Be godly in this world. That's what we have from Peter here. So it brings us to a response this morning. This is a spiritual checkup. And it's not every text that brings us to the point where we're basically saying, Lord, I, 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 like, am I saved? Am I saved? If that's a question you ask every day, then things aren't right. That, that's not a healthy place to be. For a believer, this is a question that indeed can be answered. It can be answered. There is to be evidence on display in your life. And this sermon can equip you to look for that. But I would just ask the question, Broadly here, is there anyone here in this room who, when you ask the question, is there a pulse in my soul? What if it's a flat line? What if you have never turned from your sin and trusted Jesus as your Savior? And you're like, I, you know, if I really were to hook that thing up, I would find flat line, no pulse. I, I am not a Christian. Then I have really good news for you today. Today can be the day. Today can be the day that you turn from your sin and humble yourself before a Savior who loves and lays His life down to pay for sins. This can be the day. You can be made to live today, forgiven of all of your sins. Don't let another day go by wallowing in the dark, chasing after nothing. There is nothing in this world that is worth pursuing with all your heart. It only leads to the fires of hell. There is one, however, who is worth giving everything to and trusting him all the way. Christian, 
Those who have done that, is there stagnation in your life? If you went to the doctor's office, the spiritual doctor's office, what would he say? He said, well, you need a little more working out, right? We need, we need to hit the gym a little more. There's stagnation, right? If, if so, where? And what are you going to do about it? See, get after it. Find that place. Is there sin that's being coddled or excused or justified or ignored? Go there and get after it. Make every effort to grow. That's my encouragement today. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for loving us in the way that you do. Thank you that you don't just leave us once we're saved out to fend for ourselves, but you give us passages like this that are so helpful, that equip us to, to really seek and understand what it means to be saved and, and discern where there's life and where there isn't life. Father, thank you that we can indeed grow in grace and knowledge. Thank you that you have given us all that we need to grow. And Lord, strengthen us for that work. Help us to make every effort to grow in godliness, to, to hunt and go after the sin in our lives and, and hate it all the more and crowd it out with, with obedience and joyful righteousness as we walk in the light with you. I pray for those who may be in this room who don't know you, O oh Lord, open their eyes to see their sin and their need for a Savior. Open their eyes to see the beauty of a Savior that you have sent and provided the only opportunity for them to be forgiven for their sins. May you do what they cannot do. Give them a new heart. Stir in them life and, and joy and, and, and a, a desire to run to Christ with all, their heart, with all their heart. Lord, if there's stagnation, help us to root it out and to go after it. I pray, Lord, that you would give assurance and security and, and confidence for all those in this room who are saved. Thank you that we can indeed know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are yours and that we are held and kept for eternity. Thank you for these verses in Jesus' name. Amen.